The Credible Nerds presents More Than Meets the Eye, a Transformers podcast. Autobots, transform! Welcome to the Credible Nerds Podcast. We are continuing our More Than Meets the Eye series, which is a Transformers podcast. My name is Justin, and I have my special guest with me, Kimball, who is our Transformers expert. Hey, nerds. How are you doing? <laughs> Today we'll be talking about Revenge of the Fallen, the second film in the modern Transformers saga. Um, it was released in 2009 and once again directed by Michael Bay. And even though this is episode three of our series, it is the second film in the Transformers series. So a quick overview of the film. It stars Shia LaBeouf as Sam Witwicky, Megan Fox as Michaela Baines, Josh Tuhamel as Major Lennox, Tyrese Gibson as Sergeant Epps, John Turturro is back as Agent Simmons, Ramon Rodriguez is a new character, Leo Spitz. Uh, Sam's parents, Kevin Dunn and Julie White, are back as well. A new, another new person in the show is Isabel Lucas, who plays Alice. Those are the major players of the film, of this film. All right, so this film came out two years after the first one. And for me, I remember hearing about they were going to that they were going to do a sequel to the first Transformers and that it was coming out within a, a year and a half, basically. And I thought that was a pretty quick turnaround. And I was excited that they were jumping right into the next one because I enjoyed the first one so much. Um, and for me, when I went and saw it in theaters, it didn't disappoint. Um, there was a lot of great moments in the film and I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, for you, Kimball, did you see this film in theaters or what, how did you see this film for the first time? Yeah, so I saw, I didn't see the first one in theaters. I was still on my mission in Paraguay then, but the second one I was back already and I did see it and I really liked it. I remember this had a lot of hype too. I think yeah. the first trailer came out during the Super Bowl, so like six months before, about five six months before. Uh -huh. um, and like I just remember everyone was was very excited about it. Yeah. And I thought it did well, um, and I thought everyone liked it. I mean, it made almost a billion worldwide. It was eight hundred thousand, so pretty good reception. But then it seems like. Uh, with many of these films after a while it settles in and people kind of realize, eh, maybe it wasn't that good because it's only like 6.0 on IMDb, yeah. unfortunately, but I think it's still, you know, an exciting one. It, it didn't disappoint for me. It wasn't one of those letdown sequels. I think um, after the first one, it handed off well and it just kept cruising. So I, I really like this one. I thought it was good. I think I like it more than the first one, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think uh, Rotten Tomatoes has it at 29% or something like really low, which I don't give any credence to Rotten Tomatoes other than to look at it and be like, okay, they got that wrong again. <laughs> yeah. Um, and a lot of times I'll, I'll actually look at it and be like, huh, so Rotten Tomatoes has this movie scored pretty low, so I'm going to go see it. <laughs> the reverse. Just out of spite. Yeah. Because I find that most of the movies I like, Rotten Tomatoes 
the score isn't reflective of the movies I like. So whatever that means. But yeah, there was a a couple parts that bothered me and we'll get into that later. But overall, enjoyed it. Thought it was a, a fun ride. A great continuation of, of that first film that I liked a lot and saw multiple times in theaters. So was excited to see this. So this movie starts out uh, with a prelude and it is on Earth about 17,000 years BC and it shows a bunch of humans who are um, Neanderthals, cavemen type humans. They're dressed in skins and they have spears and they're out hunting and they come across these transformers and they are building this machine. And they end up start, or they end up fighting each other. So we get a, a quick snippet of the Transformers just going to town on these humans and destroying them. And then that's the end of the prelude. Then we get the title, Transformers Revenge of the Fallen. As it, Which is a little misleading because you would think, okay, Transformers can just kill all the humans. How are there humans on Earth right now? Right. That's yeah, what they... you think happens. Yeah, kind of leaves you thinking, well, they destroyed them. So <laughs> why are we here? Mm-hmm. And I think it's a good tease because it definitely gets back into that, that story, that pre, definitely gets back into that prelude uh, later on in the film. So we see what happened and why and all that stuff. But it was a good teaser to get us interested and find out what's going on. All right, so this film starts up two years after the, the end of the last one. And the Transformers, the Autobots, have joined forces with the humans. They've formed this organization called Nest. They are hunting Decepticons. And then we get this opening sequence of Nest and the Autobots. It's, it's pretty awesome. I watched it recently, today in fact, and I'm still blown away by how cool it is. So um, they're hunting this transformer uh this decepticon called demolisher and then there's his sidekick uh sideways who is a sports car they're hiding out in this abandoned uh steel plant and they they're able to track him down demolisher just kind of explodes out of the the ground and they start chasing him there's a lot of explosions and then he starts to get away uh, they are able to get kill his 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 companion sideways and it was he was killed by sideswipe actually by cutting sideways in half which was pretty sweet sequence there yeah i like that part they look identical too. those two cars when they were like driving yeah it's hard to tell them apart yeah i got a little mixed up on them too um initially i thought that the good the autobot was destroyed but in there later he wasn't so yeah, they're better with that because they're both silver. They're both sports cars. Yeah, we should have made one of them black or red or something like that to distinguish them a little better. Mm-hmm. But pretty cool sequence. So Demolisher gets away. He's driving down the the streets of Shanghai, just you know, running over cars and tearing up the freeway and all that stuff. So then they call in Optimus, and he's airdropped from plane high up above and he comes flying in the parachute lands transforms into the truck and takes off after demolisher and then he transforms back into optimus and they have a duel 
and Optimus defeats Demolisher. But before he dies, he says, the fallen shall rise again. Pretty cool sequence. Um, what about for you, Kimball? Did you, what did you think of this opening sequence? It was great. It's a good, good action scene to, to get us started. Um, I like how Optimus just, you know, goes in with no fear. And like compared to Demolisher, he's just tiny. But yeah. somehow he's able to, you know, defeat him. It seemed pretty easily. I mean, he did it all on his own. No other Autobots are with him. But he just took him down. It was, yeah. it was a good one. Yeah. I think we're reminded constantly throughout this film how, well, all of these films actually, how powerful Optimus is and why he's a prime. I like that. Seeing him in action. So then the show jumps to back to Sam Witwicky. We're in, reintroduced to him. He's, he's at home, but he's getting ready to leave. He's going to college. His parents are going to take him. Um, Sam and Michaela are still together. He calls her and they talk on the phone a little bit. Um, so he, his life is has continued on normally, I guess you could say, after the, the events of the first Transformers film. Um, he's trying to get back into normal life and go to school and and have a good time, live his live his uh, early or live his life. So his parents are there. Uh, I I've, I've always thought they were pretty annoying, and in this film yeah. they continue to be annoying. Especially the mom. The dad's not too bad in this one, but yeah, the yeah. mom's really annoying. Yeah, she's just over the top. They could have dialed her back a little bit. But while Sam and Michaela are talking, we get the one of the MacGuffins for this film is that in Sam's shirt that he was wearing, he pulls out of the closet and it's the same one he was wearing at the end of the last film. There's a sliver of the AllSpark in his just it's lodged inside of his shirt and it falls out. He sees it and it ends up turning all the, the household appliances into transformers and they start attacking him and his family. So he's trying to avoid getting killed by all these household appliances. And then Bumblebee shows up. He, I guess he's still living in the garage and he shows up and blasts them and ends that threat. Um, I thought it was interesting that they all turned into Decepticons <laughs> or at least aggressive transformers right yeah it's almost as if like that's the default i remember it was the same way in the first one when like this uh the cube like fell down or something and on the street because i remember there was a seven up machine that turned into a decepticon so it's like i don't know why the default is to just be violent or yeah maybe maybe they're not decepticons but they sure act like it yeah yeah, they they become alive and they just start attacking anything, everything that's moving. Yeah, so that that's consistent with the previous film. Um, but so Sam and Bumblebee talk, and Sam tells him that, "Hey, I'm going to college. You need to stay here, or you need need to move on." And you know, I don't need protection anymore. I'm good. And then Bumblebee's sad that he he can't go to college with him. Yeah, well, Sam doesn't deserve Bumblebee. He's always mean to him. Yeah. <laughs> Bumblebee's just like his protector. He just saves his life, and Sam just, you know, treats him like crap, and he doesn't understand, like, he's always questioning Bumblebee, but it's like, why is he questioning him? He knows that he's his uh, protector. Yeah, his guardian. And then Michaela shows up on her motorcycle. 
for some, I always thought this part was odd where she has this wedding dress on underneath her clothes and yeah, takes off her clothes and stands there with flowers and <laughs> it's like, okay. I thought she was going to propose at first or something. Yeah, that's what it looks like. Like, why is she doing the guy's bidding? Yeah. But then she just stands there and wants him to tell her that he loves her and he won't. And I was like, okay, that was interesting. And then he goes off to college. <laughs> but he does give her that sliver of the cube for her to keep safe, which she ends up putting in the safe at her garage that she works in. That's his way of proposing to her. Yeah. <laughs> I care for you so much. I'm giving you a piece of the AllSpark. But yeah, then we see Soundwave. Uh, he's in Earth's orbit and he is communicating between the, what we end up knowing to be the Fallen, who is in space as well as with the other Decepticons on planet Earth. So he's there as a kind of to make sure all the Decepticons know what's going on because he's able to hack into a military satellites and um, run interference and monitor all their communications. Uh, then we cut to Nest. They're returning to base from China and they all debrief the mission. Um, there's a director Galloway who shows up. He's a national security advisor and he's, you know, mad that the Autobots aren't providing more intel on their weapons. And he's wondering, you know, why they haven't de defeated the Decepticons and he wants to shut down the operation, the nest operation, basically. And Optimus brings up the warning from Demolisher about how the Fallen is coming. So they take this new information, but uh, Galloway still wants the Transformers to leave, leave planet Earth. Then we cut from there, we go to Sam go, arrives at college. He checks into his dorm room. He meets his new roommate, Leo. And so we're introduced to this new character. Um, and he and Sam don't get along very well at first. And he's got this whole crew of guys and they have, they run this website called therealeffingdeal.com. And they're actually tracking transformer sightings. And Sam plays like he doesn't know what's going on. He thinks they're aliens or it's fake or something like that. And they mention that their main competition is Robo Warrior, who keeps scooping their stories. And while they're there getting settled in, his Sam's parents are moving his stuff in, but his mom ends up eating a pot brownie and she gets high and just starts acting silly and stupid and makes a fool of herself and embarrasses Sam. And it's just ridiculous, actually. We are also introduced to Alice and she's uh, a hot girl who lives in the dorms and Leo and Sam are infatuated with her. More, more so Leo. Sam is trying to stay true to Michaela. Yeah, and he does a terrible job too. He says, oh, I, I'm kind of in a relationship or I'm <laughs> kind of seeing someone. It's like, what the heck, Sam? Yeah. <laughs> then from there, we cut to another scene where a ravage is dispatched from Soundwave to go steal the the shard of the AllSpark because Soundwave had picked up on where the this shard was being stored, and also that um, Megatron is buried deep in the ocean. So Soundwave is able to pick up on that information and 
dispatches Ravage to go steal this Allspark. He infiltrates the military base by sending these microcons, these little balls, small like ball bearing type things through the ventilation system. And they transform and combine together and they form this transformer called Reedman who's razor thin and almost invisible. And so the microcons, they steal the, the shard and meet up with Ravage and they're able to escape with it. I thought this part was really cool. I liked how they did, how they created this, I guess, new uh, Decepticon. Cause we didn't see him in the last film. Ravage is like this lion animal type yeah. uh, transformer. And then all of a sudden, you know, these, you can spit out these other transformers and then they make this new creature and it's just, it was just really cool. I like the special effects in this part. Yeah, it was a really, really neat part. Um, and they showed different camera angles where they, from one angle you can see it's like a fully formed transformer and then it pans around him. And as it goes around him, it's like all of a sudden he's not there anymore because he's so thin. And it comes back around and then you can see him again. It's like, oh, that's perfect stealth mode transformer right there. Then it cuts from there to Sam going to a frat party with his dorm mates. Um, Michaela, of course, is trying to webcam him and communicate with him for the first time, and he's apparently forgot about that. So at this point, Sam starts seeing some Decepticon symbol or these um, symbols from the Transformers uh, in his brain, and he draws them out. And Alice is there. And she comes up to him and starts flirting with him. But then Bumblebee shows up and Alice and Sam go for a ride. And while they're going for a ride, Bumblebee starts playing on the radio, uh, you know, cheating songs, your, my cheating heart and super freak and just giving Sam a hard time for being there with Alice. So eventually they pull over and Alice leaves after getting sprayed with this. Uh, I thought it was like window cleaning fluid from from the car or something gets all over yeah that's what it looked like why didn't bumblebee attack alice when she's a decepticon yeah i was wondering that too why didn't he recognize because she seemed to recognize him for what he was Mm -hmm. um, when he was starting to do stuff without you know being controlled to do so so yeah it's like uh, that's interesting that bumblebee didn't do anything about it i mean he was obviously annoyed by her but like yeah there was reason why he didn't like her when he finished the job. Yeah. Just saved a lot of time and pain. Then we cut to Sam and Optimus talking uh, about how Optimus wants him back. They need to get the shard that was stolen by the Decepticons, but Sam declines saying, I can't help you. I, I need to live my life. I can't just be running off every time there's an emergency. So then he leaves. Um, what did you think about this play by Sam when he just turns down Optimus and, and walks off? It's a jerk move. I mean, <laughs> don't say no to Optimus. And then as someone who is as mighty as him and he's coming to a lowly human, I mean, that's, that's uh, something right there that you should probably listen to him. Yeah. Yeah, and if he's coming to you, you know it's a big deal. It's not. It's something that they need help with and can't handle, I guess. But it still makes me question, like, why does does Optimus really need him? I mean, he says the purpose is so that another human can, I guess, be an advocate 
for the Transformers for staying on Earth. Um, but, like, why get, like, some young, you know, erratic college student to do that? Why not get someone a little more credible? I guess the Autobots have made no friends. Yeah. The time they've been on the Earth. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, they had people like Lennox and Epps who were, you know, respected military people. And even mm-hmm. the, the one general, the bald guy, Morshower or something. Yeah. He's on board with the, the Autobots and their mission. So, I guess they wanted a, a civilian because the, uh, um, that, what's that a guy, Galloway. I mean, he's, he's already been talking to Epps and he's been talking to um, the general. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting that, I mean, I, for the story, because, you know, he's the main character, so obviously he's going to get involved. But if you look, I, I think we're once again trying to make too much out of it. When, yeah, we love to do that with these films. <laughs> Try to make sense of it. <laughs> Try to think too much. Um, so, yeah, so Sam declines and says, oh, I'm going to college. I've got a girlfriend. You know, I, I don't have time for this. Then we cut to Megatron. He, the Decepticons figure out where he's at in the ocean, swim down there, and they use the shard that they just stole to revive Megatron, and he's resurrected. So he flies off into space, meets up with Starscream at the Fallen's hideout on his ship, the Nemesis, which is on one of Saturn's moons, so it's you know, fairly close by, I guess. Um, so the Fallen tells Megatron how Sham, how how Sam has another piece of the shard and they need to get that. And that also Sam has absorbed information from the cube about another um, source of power. So they need to find him and get that information and they need to defeat Optimus because Optimus is protecting Sam. So they need to defeat him as well. And it seemed like the fallen was insinuating, if not saying that, he couldn't act until Optimus was destroyed because he's the last prime. So I think this is the first time we get introduced to the concept that Optimus is the last prime that comes into play in later films. I could be wrong. Maybe it was introduced earlier, but I think this is the first time we get that concept. Mm-hmm. So uh, then we cut to Sam in school. He's going to his astronomy class. And he's, he starts to freak out. He starts to see the symbols again. And he reads his whole astronomy book in minutes. Just skims nice. It's like 32.8 seconds, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and he's talking to Michaela. Oh, yeah. Yeah, pretty quick. And so he ends up going up in front of the class and just talking about physics and things like that. And the teacher's this proud guy, so he kicks him out for trying to upstage him especially in front of the dean because the dean's in there yeah and she was in love with him apparently she had this look of oh my gosh this guy's amazing well who wouldn't it's dwight after all (laughs) yeah (laughs) Uh, so then we cut to this uh decepticon truck rc truck wheelie he's tracked down michaela and the shard and he's trying to steal it from her um and sam calls her at that moment and tells her Hey, you got to get that shard back to me. I'm have, don't touch it. I'm having these visions because of it. So she ends up capturing that Decepticon wheelie, and they had she heads to visit Sam. 
I think one of the the criticisms of the film is that there's a lot of, at least in the beginning, a lot of cutting back and forth. You know, we see this strike in Shanghai, this mission in Shanghai, then we cut to Sam Witwicky, and then we cut back to the military, and then we cut back to Sam, and then we cut back to, you know, it's just jumping all over the place. And it's setting up important story elements, but it, it's a lot of back and forth, this, this, and this. And the story's not really going anywhere. It's just, it's laying down the foundation, which is important. But there's a lot of stuff, I think, that is doesn't need to be there, or it's a little too much, I guess. I don't know. What were, what were you thinking about? Or did that even come up when, when you were watching it for you? I didn't think, think of that at all, but um now that you say that that's kind of the theme for the whole movie actually there's a whole lot of back and forth and they're really kind of dragging out kind of the point of it because like by the time you get to about maybe an hour and 45 minutes in like the main battle hasn't even started we're just learning about like more history it does uh take a long time and it does kind of feel dragged out after after a while but um, I mean, if they were to cut out stuff, I don't know. What do you think they should cut out? Like, some of this part? Yeah, I think, I think the part of the whole school part could have been trimmed down, or at least I don't. I don't think you need to cut it out in the sense that we were introduced to Leo, and I think he. Actually, now that I think about it, he's not really that important. He's just along for the ride. Yeah, he's just a sidekick. Yeah. yeah, they definitely could have trimmed down the school. Yeah. They really drugged that part out. And I think they could have just started with Sam in school, like already been there for a week or something. But anyway, yeah, the whole part. And then with Alice, I mean, yeah, she's hot and everything, but what really does she do? She tries to capture Sam and he escapes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that part was unnecessary. And it seems like with all these Decepticons, like, they already know the mission beforehand. Because, I mean, you never see, like, Alice talking with Megatron or Shockwave, like, you know, at least remotely. Or this new one, this RC truck, Decepticon Wheelie, like, he just um, shows up. Like, how are all these people just knowing, how are all these Decepticons knowing what to do? You don't you don't ever see them communicating back to base or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. And if there's so many, why they, why didn't they just converge on Sam and take the kidnap him right off the bat instead of sending Alice and then so on and so forth. So I don't know, but that's the film we got is this one. So <laughs> all we can do is critique it now throughout. Right. So anyway, um, Michaela shows up to school and Alice is trying to put the moves on Sam, but when we find out that she's really a Decepticon and she chases Sam and Leo and Michaela throughout the college, uh, they end up getting in a car and trying to escape and Alice is run over by the car and smashed. So she's out of the picture. Uh, but then Megatron shows up and gets Sam and we find out that the symbols that he's seeing actually are a map to an energon source, which is uh, what powers the transformers. So 
that's why that's why they're trying to get Sam. That's why they're trying to get um, the this um, this shard, the sliver of the Allspark. So before they actually kill Sam, get the information, the Autobots show up. Optimus is there, and he fights Megatron and Starscream. Uh, one minute they're fighting in this factory, and then they run out, and then they're in this forest. And Megatron and Optimus are fighting, and then Starscream shows up, and a couple other Decepticons, and they end up killing Optimus. And Sam escapes with uh, some other Autobots who showed up late, and they escape the Decepticons. And in this moment, we see as soon as Optimus is killed, that the Fallen, he all of a sudden is able to uh, charge up or something, because all of a sudden, he had, before he was this, kind of this weak old. Uh, transformer that was just laying around but when prime is killed he's all of a sudden his eyes start glowing he stands up and he flies off to earth all ready to go so i don't know what that's about and he's just excited because now he can uh, i guess go take over earth like he wanted but somehow optimus living there was stopping him yeah so the decepticons like you said at that point take over the world and they threaten to destroy all the cities and people of earth they don't hand over sam they send out this message over all the news outlets to you know we need this kid or else we're gonna wreak havoc on on earth so and they come up with this plan that they're gonna kidnap his parents to trap him and bring him out of hiding because sam leo and michaela are hiding out with some of the autobots and it's at this point that leo becomes invested in the mission before he's just kind of running and hiding and trying to escape everything. At this point he freaks out, but then he settles down and it's like, okay, I'm in, I'm, I'm part of the team now. And one thing I did think about Leo is, I mean, he was this background character that was always just running around and trying to escape. Uh, I kind of wanted to see more of his story. Um, one of the things about these Transformers films, a lot of the, the background characters, these you know secondary characters, they don't uh, transition in, into the next film. Um, there's a bunch from the first Transformers, like Glenn and some of the other yeah British actors, yeah. girl, yeah, yeah, all those interns. Like, where are they at? Yeah, and so Lee and Leo's one of them. He's not in any of the future films, and I, it's interesting that they have these people who are a major part of what happens in the film and they just kind of disappear after that. You got characters like Lennox and Epps and Simmons who show up, but these other ones um, just kind of fade away. So I, I would like to see Leo more. I thought he was a good character overall. Um, mm-hmm. I think it'd be cool if all these characters who didn't transition into future films, there was a film just about them. They all team up in the next Transformers yeah. film. <laughs> then we can finally get our sixth film. Yeah. <laughs> So, so anyway, Leo, he's like, well, I know who we can go to for help. Uh, trying to figure out in this map, in this language that the Decepticons are chasing us for. We can go to RoboWarrior, who's the competition to uh, Leo's website. Which is surprising. Like, how would he actually know <laughs> where RoboWarrior is? I mean, RoboWarrior is like their enemies. He's stealing all their stuff. Like, how is he supposed to know where he, he lives? Yeah. And he's in hiding, so it's not like he, you know, has his address published on his website or anything. Uh huh. So I don't know. Maybe the Autobots help him find 
and find out where he's at. But they go to this shop and it's this meat shop, I guess. And they find Robo Warrior and it turns out to be Simmons, Agent Simmons from the last film. So um, Simmons is like, oh no, I'm not talking to you guys, referring to Sam and Michaela. They shut me down last time. I lost everything because of you guys. But then Sam and Michaela were able to let him know what's going on and that they need his help. So he takes him into into his secret um, man cave underneath uh, the meat shop where he has all his his notes and his stuff that he stole from Sector 7 that he's been using to research stuff. Which doesn't make any sense at all. Like, why wouldn't Nest just acquire all that stuff and confiscate it since they're hunting the Decepticons in, out in the open? Like, that's their purpose. They should have just absorbed Sector 7. I didn't understand that part. Yeah. Yeah, they... Yeah, I thought... Initially, I thought Sector 7, like you said, transitioned to the Nest. That seems like that would be a a natural thing to happen, but... Apparently not. So Simmons has all this inf- information and they find out we get a little more history on the Transformers that they've been around for a long time and that they found all these symbols all over the world for the past few hundred years. And there's uh, evidence of a lot of old cars and planes that have been Transformers in the past. And then they bring out the wheelie who tells them, yeah, that these guys were sent uh, a long time ago, thousands of years, looking for something, and he doesn't know what it is. And he tells them that the the symbols that Sam is seeing are the language of the primes uh, from Cybertron. And he knows where some of the old Transformers are hiding and that they can translate the symbols for him. So one of these uh, Transformers is in the Smithsonian Air and Space Museum in D.C., which is close. So they head over there. They sneak in. They find the Decepticon um, jet fire. And they use the sliver of the cube to activate him because I guess he's run out of power, out of energon. And so he's not able to transform. He's not alive anymore. But the sliver from the AllSpark activates him and he transforms. And um, they get him to help them. So he and Jetfire says something interesting that the Fallen, he's actually the original Decepticon. Hmm, even though he's a Prime. Yeah. We defected from the Primes. So. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, so then Jetfire teleports them to Egypt via a space bridge. And instantaneously they're uh, on the other side of the world, which is an awesome way to travel. When they arrive, uh, Jetfire gives them a history lesson. He says that Transformers visited Earth thousands of years ago, searching for Energon, which is the source of energy that gives them life. And they created this great machine, the Harvester, uh, on Earth that was built to harvest the energy from the sun. And it needs a key to, you know, to turn the machine on. And, but the Primes, they have this directive to not destroy a planet that already has life on it. So while they're building the machine, this harvester, that's when we, you know, flash back to the prelude where the humans show up and they see the the transformers and they see them. So then I guess there were seven primes. I don't know if that's 
just on the planet Earth, or that was all the all of the primes. Um, but one of them, he still wanted to complete the machine, so he rebels and becomes the fallen. And he fights, he kills some of the humans, and he starts to attack his his other his brothers, the other primes. And the other primes can't defeat him because he's stronger, so they hide the key called the Matrix of Leadership. And they sacrifice themselves to hide the key, and it's buried in the tomb of the primes. Well, just thinking about this history lesson that he's given, like, the Fallen is here this whole time. He knows where the harvester is to get Energon, but all these thousands of years, they're looking for it the key <laughs> it just doesn't add up all these decepticons are looking for it like why didn't they just you know say hey it's fallen tell us where to go yeah they're just all going around blindly well they didn't know where the key was because the primes hit it but oh, still if they've had thousands the of years what was that maybe, maybe they're looking for the key yeah so they need the key to turn it on so is the harvester it makes energon? The harvester shoots a beam into the sun to harvest the energy from the sun to create it's, the energon. Okay, so that it makes the energon. Yeah. But you need the key to turn it on and the primes hit it somewhere, but it, I don't know. It's not that far from the harvester. So it just mm -hmm. seems like the the Decepticons and the Fallen could have just tore apart the Earth until they found it. Yeah. They had they done years. So what was your question? Uh, just the same as yours. You know, Why didn't they find the key? Why did they just sit around and, and not do anything for a thousand, you know, 12,000 years? Yeah, they could have just acted... What is he could have just done Devastator and brought him just eat everything? Yeah, yeah. So another plot hole that's a little more apparent than than most, I would say, mm -hmm. since it's such a key part of the whole film. But again, I I think I brought this up in the last episode. Why are it seems like the Decepticons are always there on Earth, but then the Autobots they just discovered Earth in the in the last film. And in Bumblebee, but the Decepticons are always around, and Earth is such a major part of of the films of all the films. It's yeah, well, we learned that in the fifth one. We won't spoil it right now, though. <laughs> yeah, hang on, put a pin in that. <laughs> but yeah. So anyway, um, it's possible that the key, this matrix of leadership, could potentially bring Optimus back to life. They they call Lennox, who's in America, to bring Optimus to Egypt so they can revive him. As they do this, though, Soundwave is alerted to that, and he alerts all the Decepticons and says, hey, they're in Egypt, head over there. The Decepticons start to head over to Egypt to, to stop them. So Sam and his team, they end up going to the, Egypt by the pyramids. Sam and Michaela share a moment where she is again trying to get him to say that I love you, but he won't. But then they find out how to locate this tomb of the primes. So they hurry and race off and go to Jordan to find the tomb. So you've been to this this place in real life, right? Yeah. 
I've been to this tomb. It was neat. I loved it. And I watched this movie like right before I went to that tomb, just so I knew exactly like where to go and you know which wall to dig into, so I could find the those primes. Yeah, and did you find great. them? I did. I found the matrix of leadership, <laughs> but it was all you know just uh, eroded away. Uh, so you're like the new Sam. Uh huh. You have it like hidden in one of your socks in your drawer, right? Yeah, I'm just waiting to go revive Optimus. <laughs> If the opportunity comes, you're you're gonna go. And do, you're uh-huh. gonna be a hero. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I've been there. It's it's cool. There, that area is so neat. So, is there a room that you can walk in, like they did in the film? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it has that pretty cool old facade, and is it just that small room that you see in the film, or is it like you can go in down hallways and different rooms, or what? No, it's it like? just that it's just that room. And what's neat about it is it's it's a cube inside like it's all square the walls and everything mm-hmm. it's just they were really good at building their architecture back then there's not a mural on the side though like okay. in the movie it, you could kind of see like some type of drawing on the side wall yeah but, i was gonna ask you about that is that there i don't remember it being there i'd have to look at my pictures but i don't think it was there but you can definitely climb up in the wall like to get into the room it's like a four or five foot wall. Like you kind of got to hop up into it uh-huh. and then you get into that room. But yeah, you can walk in there. There's no hallways though. It's just a square room. Okay. Do they know what they built it for? What that room is for or anything like that? That one, I know the famous one, you know, where Indiana Jones was for the temple of for the last crusade. That one was a treasury, but this one, there was a huge courtyard in the front um, and there was a wall surrounding it. It's not there anymore, but um, that's what, what used to be there when they dug up everything. And mm-hmm. so I think it was for royalty, um, but it was, it seemed to be more of like an outdoor gathering place for the people there. Uh, okay. Well, that's pretty cool. So the Indiana Jones ones is a separate one. Yeah, so that's like a few miles down the canyon. The canyon and, of the crescent moon? Yeah, uh-huh. And as you're walking <laughs> down that, you just see all kinds of like just, um, uh, they just carved into the mountainside. And you'll see like smaller versions of like that tomb you'll see. You can't, but it doesn't have like an inside. Like, I don't know if they were just... Um, drafting or just like doing some tests and then they were practicing on those and then finally they got good and so they created this one where we see transformers too but there's just so many of those um uh i keep on calling them drawings but they're not drawings or carvings carvings yeah into the mountainside so yeah it's cool all in that canyon of the crescent moon (laughs) that's not its real name is it no, that's just what Indiana Jones calls it. I thought it. It doesn't even look like a crescent moon either. I, that would be cool if it did. Yeah, yeah. For some reason, I thought they were the same thing. I haven't watched I, yeah the film for a while, but yeah. Yeah, I did too until I was there. Then you can you can really distinguish it. This one, it's um, as tall as the mountainside that it's built into, and you can tell the. Indiana Jones one, like there's still mountain above it. 
Mm. So it looks a lot smaller. This one looks a lot bigger, and I think they're about the same same size. But it's just it's just like an optical illusion. Oh, okay. And the one for Indiana Jones is that there was there like a small room in there as well, or? Yeah, but they wouldn't let us go in there. Um, it's yeah, it's real small though. It's not nothing big. It's not like a long tunnel where you see all these booby traps or anything. <laughs> but see. they wouldn't even let us climb in there, unfortunately. Uh, okay. Well, that's neat. Um, I've always been interested in that stuff. So that's cool. So they they end up finding the tomb of the primes in there. Uh, and this was another part that bugged me um, in the initial viewing. And I think it's because it's a, a trope that a lot of movies use. So they, they find the tomb and the, that room and there's nothing in there. So they're mad and they're kind of depressed. And then the two... Autobots start fighting for no reason at all, and they throw each other against the wall. It cracks, and oh, there it is. There's the tomb. And that that sort of thing has always bothered me, where for no reason something happens, and then it leads them to their goal. And it just seems like why would you even write that? Why can't you just write that the hero does some detective work or you know something and he's smart and he figures it out and oh here's the tomb i don't know that's just maybe a personal pet peeve for me yeah i mean he's at least seen the symbols like he should be able to tell exactly where it's at yeah so yeah so anyway the the wall cracks they find the the entrance to the tomb they go in and find you know the, the dead primes surrounding the key and sam goes to pick it up and it dissolves into dust and so he's like, oh, man. So he's like just devastated. He's like, oh, the whole mission's a failure. But then he – actually, I don't know if he says that. Michaela does. No, he doesn't say that. He's actually – he's like confident and believing. It's everyone else who says like, well, what do we do now? And I thought that was cool that Sam, you know, demonstrated that. Like he's just a believer. In- yeah. Yeah. And I think well, – I think that goes to his character, right? That's why – maybe that's why Optimus – believes in him so much because he's one of the few that doesn't give up when everything seems to be dark or the end of the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, but he, it's almost like he feels like it's his destiny, you know, that it, it doesn't, he doesn't know how, but it's going to work out. And so. Yeah. Cause he keeps saying like all this stuff that's been happening, like him saying the symbols Mm-hmm. getting the shard yeah he i think he does believe that it's a destiny like if it was just going to end right there like that wouldn't make any sense right yeah so he gathers up the dust puts it in his sock wraps it up and they're gonna go head out and find optimus so as they exit the the tomb they see the planes dropping optimus and so they head over there to to meet up with them as they're driving over there Starscream attacks and they go off the road and they hide in this construction site. They split up. Sam and Michaela head to meet up with Optimus while the rest stay and try and create a distraction for Starscream. So at this point, we things get, get really going and it's more of a linear tale. And that's what I like about this last part is that you know, everyone comes together. The, the story starts to come together and you get this you know final battle, which is always great. So. It just took a long time. Yeah. I, yeah. I think that's a good point is it took a little too long to get here, but once I got here, it paid off. 
So Starscream and Megatron, they meet up on top of one of the pyramids. <clears throat> they call the Decepticons to attack the, the military and the Autobots that are outside the, the pyramids trying to protect this you know, Optimus Prime's body yeah, so that Sam can get there and revive him. Um, back at the construction site, we see the, the Constructicons, which are these new Transformers, and they transform, well, some of them transform and create this even larger um, Decepticon called Devastator. And he starts to attack Simmons and Leo and the two Autobots that are there, and he's heading towards the pyramid to destroy it. And for me, this is a pretty cool moment because I had a few Transformers toys growing up, and some of them were these Constructicons that you could, they were a little bit smaller, but you could transform them and then connect them all together to create this, this bigger one. And I always thought that was a really great twist on, you know, the already cool idea of a transformer. So that was like my main bad guy that I would use to, to attack the Autobots that I had as a kid. And did it look like the one in this movie? <laughs> no. Uh, it was cool, but it wasn't like awesome like that one was. It was more of a arms and legs and torso with a head type mm -hmm. transformer. <laughs> it didn't have balls like this one does. <laughs> <laughs> didn't have the, the iron balls hanging and swinging. <laughs> so, so yeah, the uh, Devastator heads toward the pyramid and he's sucking up all these, you know, the dirt and rocks and cars and anything in its path and just destroys it. In the meantime, Sam and Michaela are running and they're hiding in this these buildings of this abandoned village. The Decepticons are hunting them. And I thought this part was pretty cool because there's a lot of really awesome explosions as they're running through the, the sand and stuff and through these buildings. But also there's this scene where they're hiding in this room from the Decepticons. And you, you got this, you know, Sam makes a hole in the wall and the camera goes out that hole, goes outside, shows all the Decepticons that are surrounding him, circles around to the side of the house and goes back in the keyhole through the main door back into the room where Sam and Michaela are hiding. And I thought it was a really creative way to show, you know, the danger that they're in. And then it goes back into that same hole, but this time a Decepticon bug comes, comes in. It's insect, Insecticon, I think they call him comes in the hole sam sees it and catches it and then kills it but i think either way they were their location was going to be revealed because if he didn't kill the bug the, the insect then the insect will report he kills it and then they realize hey you know something happened let's go check it out so that's when they they take off running again and all these cool explosions happen and at this point um they reveal that you know, they've captured Sam's parents and they're going to hold him ransom until Sam gives up his information. And this, this one transformer called Rampage, he's a Constructicon, but not part of the main Devastator. He's holding him hostage and he shows up. And I, I thought this part was, I thought he was a really cool Decepticon. The way they, his design, his, you know, his mannerisms, he's like this big drill with, I don't know. It's it's pretty sweet. Mm -hmm. He's able to distract him while Bumblebee jumps in from behind and starts fighting him, and then Ravage, that uh, Panther 
Transformer jumps in and starts fighting him too. But Bumblebee grabs Ravage and just skins him, just rips his skeleton out of his body, kills him, and then he ends up defeating Rampage as well. So Yeah, this was a cool, cool fight that Bumblebee did. You can really see the great fighter that he is. Yeah. Uh, that you don't always see in other films. This one really capitalized it though. I mean he he takes out two Decepticons all by himself. I thought it was great. Yeah. So the, Sam's parents are free and he's like, Oh, you gotta get out of here. And he's like, they're like, No, you gotta come with us. And so they argue back and forth. And eventually the parents decide that, hey, we gotta get out of here. Sam's the one that's gonna save everybody. So Bumblebee gets him gets him out of there, takes him to safety. And at this point, the the I think the theme of the movie that we've been introduced to throughout the film is really expressed here or it's front and center here you know that things change things in life change and you have to let go of your past perceptions or your past habits and you have to move forward with your life and i think at this point we really see that i think sam's parents realize this you know that you know sam's not a little boy anymore he's he's got to do things he's got his mission he's got to complete and it's is actually kind of an emotional moment. As as annoying as his parents are, I thought this part was played pretty well for what it is. Yeah, especially with the dad. I thought he did really good acting. Yeah. Um, in this scene. Yeah. Yeah, maybe it's because you know I'm a dad, and so I was like, yeah, <laughs> you gotta, you know, you gotta let go of your son when he gets old enough. So. Yeah. So anyway, they they're able to escape. The Navy sends fighter jets, more fighter jets and troops to help out with with the, the military that's there with Nest. So they're able to get reinforcements. Um, and then they, they cut back to Devastator, who's climbing the pyramid. And this is the part where Simmons is following him. He's got his radio, and we see Devastator's balls swinging back and forth. And what what, what did Simmons say? He said, I'm under the enemy's scrotum. <laughs> yeah, I'm under the enemy's scrotum right now. <laughs> so then he, he calls out to this um, aircraft carrier, or this battleship, I can't remember which one, but he's like, you got to use the rail gun to shoot Devastator because he's going to you know, destroy the planet or something like that. So they end up using the rail gun, which is this classified weapon that he somehow knows about, and they shoot devastator and destroy him but not before he's kind of torn down the pyramid enough to reveal the harvester and to be able to use it so then we see that the pyramid was hiding this transformer weapon all along and that was the real reason for the pyramids yep that's the clever twist but then the decepticons they also get you know they're a little more aggressive and they're making headway but the reinforcements arrive and there's a big battle sam and michaela are running slow motion through the sand with these explosions it's just this typical awesome transformers movie moment and they end up meeting up with lennox and his team and there's a lot of close range fighting between transformers and the military and nests and it's just chaos but it looks amazing uh jetfire shows up the old 
transformer that's been in hiding for a while. He shows up. Yeah, where was he at this whole time? That's what I was wondering. <laughs> yeah, he's just biding his time. Yeah, because last we saw him, he was in Jordan with. Not, not even then. No, he was in Egypt. He was giving them a history lesson, and then he didn't go to Jordan with them for some reason. So like, he just stayed. He just disappeared. <laughs> yeah, but he decides to do something about it. Shows up. And he helps Lennox and the team escape. Scorponok from the first film, he shows up out of the blue and starts fighting Jetfire. Um, and mortally wounds Jetfire, but uh, Jetfire is able to you know, destroy Scorponok once and for all. Then they had called in an airstrike earlier. And the, they, the planes show up and they just start bombing everything. <laughs> and there's this huge explosion. I think I read somewhere that this was like the Guinness World Record explosion with on a film with actors in the explosion. Like it's not CGI'd or anything. It's you know close close proximity, and so it's like this amazing explosion, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But Sam is he's injured in the explosion. He like goes flying, is knocked unconscious, and Megatron can't get to Optimus, so he takes off and. Basically, Sam is is killed in this moment, right? Because they try to revive him. They got this cool cinematography going on with these slow motion medical helicopters coming in. And Michaela's screaming, I love you, Sam. Don't leave me. And they're doing CPR on him and he's dead. Then they cut to Sam. He's in in between worlds is what I took. He's, you know... No, he's in Transformer Heaven. Yeah, Transformer Heaven. But <laughs> in the Prime show up in Transformer Heaven, and they're like, we want to thank you for fighting with Optimus. He believes in you, and you're amazing. And they tell him that the matrix of leadership is earned, and he can use that key to, you know, unite it with Optimus and, you know, resurrect him. And at the same time, I'm thinking, well, Sam's dead, so how's he going to do it? How's he going to get resurrected? Yeah, and shouldn't Optimus also be in this Transformer heaven? Because he's dead, too. Yeah, and he's a prime. So It kind of reminds you of uh, the end of Harry Potter. when uh, Doesn't Harry Potter go to some type of uh, heaven and he sees Dumbledore and then he sees Snape? I can't remember. I thought you watched those films. A long time ago. Oh. I can't remember. So then Sam is revived. He wakes up and he tells Michaela he loves her. Right? Is it at this point? Uh, yeah. I think he, yeah, uh, he does. Okay. Anyway, there's an emotional moment where he wakes up. They hug and then Sam runs over and sticks the key into Optimus's chest and it revives him. He's all ready to go. But then the Fallen just shows up and steals the key from Optimus and then takes off to the pyramid to where the harvester is. He turns it on. It starts stealing the energy from the sun. And I thought it was pretty cool how the Fallen is able to transport through space and time. And it's not very far. It's just maybe 20 yards or so. Mm-hmm. One place he, he disappears and he shows up and is able to steal. It's like teleporting, it seems like. Yeah. It's not very far. It's pretty short range. I thought that was was cool, but I was like, well, why does he only go like 20 yards instead of from there to here to the pyramid and, you know, but whatever. 
pretty sweet. Uh, but Jetfire, he he's going to die anyway, so he tells Optimus he can use his parts to defeat the Fallen. So he Optimus gets an upgrade, and he heads over to attack the Fallen on the Pyramid. Um, Optimus is able to destroy the Harvester pretty quickly and stop the Harvester from stealing the energy from the sun. He fights the Fallen, and Megatron shows up to uh, help out, but Optimus is able to, def to defeat Megatron and get him out of the fight, but then Optimus totally wrecks the Fallen and destroys him. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah, it was a pretty... He uses the staff that he always have and just stabs him in the back and melts his, his head or something. Yeah, he wraps, the, he wraps his staff around his neck and then he says, you fall, I rise. And it's just the best line ever. You just can't beat that. <laughs> yeah. So then Megatron realizes, hey, we're not going to beat him now. So him and Scar Starscream fly off and live. I hate that part. Like, why did he let him get away? Uh, the Fallen was a bigger threat, I guess. The Fallen was the, the one to beat. Uh -huh. so, but yeah they, they escaped to live to fight another day and I think this is the part where Sam and Michaela embrace they say they love each other and a lot of kissing in, in the sunset um, it cuts to Optimus and everybody and Sam on the aircraft carrier and Optimus tells them hey thanks for saving my life again I owe you and then it cuts to the end credits and we get this little montage of Sam going back to college and he ends up going back to class and meets with his professor, Rain Wilson, who's Dwight from The Office, and they're friends again. So then that's the film. So how do you think uh, this second Transformers film fits in with Bumblebee and with the first Transformers? Does it flow pretty well? Is it a good, a good episode for the the saga? If it's pretty well, um, since this one does go back in time, seventeen thousand years, yeah, you start to wonder. Well, in Bumblebee, you know, the Decepticons—they only came just in '89, but then yeah. they were on Earth a lot before then. But we find this conflicting with all the Transformer movies. Like, when did they really show up to Earth? It's like they just keep um, showing, going back in time longer and longer. Yeah. They keep pushing back first contact, you know. Yeah, that's it. First it was 17,000 years ago. Then it was when the Earth was created and so on and so forth. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, um, I think it still fits in pretty well with with the three movies. Yeah, a little bit of discrepancies, but nothing that stands out a lot. So, um, any connections with the previous two films, or is outside of Bumblebee and Optimus? Um, I guess the Spark, although that doesn't connect with Bumblebee. Which it would have been great if they would have talked about the Spark or something. Yeah, yeah, they needed to include that. In but I like that they included the Spark in this one. But then they kind of handed it off to the Matrix, which is great because then we see the Matrix again in the future film. Yeah. And so with Sam, his story continues in this film from the last one. I like Sam a lot in this movie. I think he's he got annoying in the first one, 
just because yeah. he's a lot younger. This one, he's more mature. He's not as annoying. In fact, Leo almost takes the spot of old Sam and being this annoying character. But I really like Sam in this one. He's he's more mature. He's he doesn't like you know waver. He's not doubting like his role or what he should do. Um, I th- I thought he was great in this one. Yeah, yeah, I liked him a lot more as well. He seemed to be, like you said, more mature and just he was more responsible. I guess you could say. Yeah, and you bring up Leo. Do we like Leo? Is he a good addition to the story? He's all right. Um, he do, he's not like critical. Um, I mean, even in the where they're fighting in Egypt, he just kind of tags along with Simmons. Yeah. He doesn't like. I mean, he's there for a laugh, basically. Yeah. Which is, I think it's always good to have those kinds of characters. Yeah. And I think the really the only thing he really did was lead them to Robo Warrior or Simmons, right? Yeah, yeah, I guess he he did play a role in that. I mean, outside of that, he could have been replaced or not present. But I did like him as a character. I thought, like you said, he, I never thought of it till you just said it that he replaces the old Sam, like he's the fill-in for the old Sam and his personality. Mm-hmm. Which played better with with Michaela and Sam with three of them instead of just two of them, like we got in the last film. Um, yeah. so I thought it was a good addition. I wanted him to do more. Like I wanted to have, I wanted him to have his hero moment, or at least. Yes, that would have been great. So, and I'd be up for him coming back in a in a future movie or. A, a side movie or, you know, something. I thought I was intrigued by him. I liked him. I was disappointed. He didn't do much more because of the writing or whatever. So. Yeah. He was obviously invested. He was researching the transformers wanting to know, like they could have done well to, I mean, at least wrote him in for the second installment, the one with Marky Mark. Like I think that would have been great to have him in that one. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Then Michaela, she's back. Um, does she grow as a character in this film? Is it, or is she just the same as she was last time? I think she's um, a little bit shadowed in this one. She doesn't. It doesn't seem like she has much to do with the story, to do with the plot, as she did in the first one. Um, I don't know why that is, but. I I liked her in this one. She wasn't uh, she wasn't bad, but it just it doesn't seem like she did much, contributed much to the storyline. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. Still liked her. I thought she. I mean, I like seeing her with Sam. I think they they make a good couple and they work well off each other. But as far like you said, the overall story, she didn't contribute much, unfortunately. Because I would like her to. I think maybe with, you know, we talked earlier about how the movie cuts back and forth a lot between this and that and that. Um, maybe she could have been part of that, you know, doing something else instead of just teaming up with, you know, getting mad at Sam because they didn't call or showing up when he was in a compromised position or, you know, give her something to do. I guess she did bring Wheelie um, and the shard, but (laughs) still, I think she should have had a bigger role in all of this. Like maybe had them separate more in the film. And then she comes in at the end instead of her coming in at the beginning. 
Yeah. Uh, so we like her. We want her to do more. And that's why we're disappointed. Not because of her character necessarily. Yeah, and that's on the writing and the directing, in my opinion. So, um, yeah, that's on Michael Yeah, I know. <laughs> Agent Simmons is back. Seems like he's a regular, even as much as annoying as he is. He's a regular in this Transformers, at least these these episodes. And he's just as involved as Lennox and Epps is, if not more. Do we like Agent Simmons? Nah, he's annoying. Um, <laughs> but he does play a big role. He's probably, yeah, I'd say he does more than Lennox and Epps, it seems like. True. I mean, he helped take down Devastator. Um, he helped with all, you know, finding um, that other old, what's that old guy's name? The old Transformer. Yeah. Jetfire. He helps finding him. Uh, he, he does, you know, contributes a lot to the story. Like, he was pretty critical. Yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm with you. He's super annoying. Don't really care for him, but he does a lot. He has his moments where it's 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 funny or he does a good job with that but i think overall i don't like him like why'd they show that part where he's wearing a thong i didn't get that yeah that was nasty (laughs) it's kind of like the films with um oh what's his name from saturday night live the tall will ferrell he's Mm -hmm. like for the first few movies he was in he was always taking off his clothes and that was like his joke. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, it was funny the first time, but do we still got to see him take his shirt off or his pants off or whatever? Again, we're introduced to the, we talked a little bit about it. We were introduced to just this overall mythology of the idea that the Transformers have been on Earth for, at this, at this point in this film, for over 19,000 years. Um, they were... They showed up 17,000 years BC, and then 2,000 years after that, they're still around, or after BC. <laughs> so they've been around for 19,000 years. Um, not sure where eventually, I think that just provides a vehicle to introduce new Transformers, perhaps, or new ideas. So I don't know. I don't, if, if they did the opposite where what we see in, in now Bumblebee, if that would have been first contact and they just move forward with the introduction of, of these new transformers and there's no history, how do you think that would play out? If they, so if like this history didn't happen. Yeah. Um, well, there wouldn't be as many plot holes. You wouldn't be asking yourself like, so what have they been doing the past 19,000 years? <laughs> Definitely would uh, seal up a bunch of things and, um, it's kind of fun though, just to see that. Well, the Transformers have been aware of Earth for this long, but yeah, it would. Whenever you do that, it just opens up a can of worms. Yeah, I think if they would have had a payoff at the end, maybe that's what this sixth film, from six Transformers film, would have done. But um, if they would have uh, had a payoff where it yeah. matters, it would have been cool. Because I like the idea. That, hey, they've always been around. We just never knew it. And they've done this. They've done that. But what's what's the end result? Why? That's never resolved. Yeah, like the uh, Harvester being on here, like, 
how does that tie into Unicron that yeah. we see get unveiled at the end of the fifth? And oh, I get so frustrated when I think about not having a number six. Yeah. And just the writing had so much potential in this all this series. Like, if they could have just known what the vision was from start to end instead of just doing it, you know, movie by movie, like, this story could have been so great if it was yeah. written better and then makes me so mad and I lose sleep over it. <laughs> yeah, hopefully they were able to resolve it somehow. Even if it was like a, a TV movie or TV show. I don't know if they'd ever, they wouldn't have enough money to do a TV show, but um, if they resolved it somehow, I think it'd be awesome. Because it's still pretty good as it is. Mm-hmm. And finally, the soundtrack. I do end up liking the Transformers soundtracks. Uh, they're all done by Steve Jablonski. And in the first couple, Linkin Park is, always has, you know, a, th- a theme song in the film. And it's how it is with this one. This one's a good one. The New Divide is probably my favorite song by Linkin Park. I like this one a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they took instrumentals from that song and played it throughout the film, which I thought was good. Uh, so apparently Steve Jablonski brought in his mentor Hans Zimmer to assist in composing the, favorite. the score and I'm like oh yeah oh well, that's why I like it then <laughs> yeah that's why it's so good yeah so then there's a Green Day song that you don't like so much I hate that song oh, it always gets stuck in my head yeah so but overall good soundtrack um, good score for the for the film I listen to it often, so it's good. So any f- final closing thoughts on Revenge of the Fallen? Um, so I like it better than the first one. As I said earlier, I think it carries the story um, well, and I think it makes a bigger film than the first one, which is usually what you want and what you expect. Yeah. The, uh, the new Transformers that were introduced were great, like that Devastator one. I mean, he's just huge and menacing i've watched the special features for that and they actually to process the devastator transformer like it took like i think 12 hours just to render like a few scenes and it ended up um making a fire like frying their computer like the (laughs) next day they came in and it was just fried and so they had to get a more powerful computer like that was really hard for them to to just to render that one transformer um But I like this one a lot. Um, my favorite scene in this movie is actually the forest scene okay. in the middle. I really like that a lot. It's just like they're in the city, then they, yeah, somehow they get to the forest, which we'll just ignore that part. But <laughs> I really like that fight scene. Optimus just takes on like four or five Decepticons all by himself. He kills one of them. Um, even his death, like that's always meaningful whenever uh, – Whenever you get a warrior's death, like they say in Gladiator, um, instead of just being like, you know, killed just cheaply, like, you know, he he put it all on the line. Um, that was an honorable way to die, and especially like, it was a cool way to die. Like Decepticon or um, Megatron, like puts his sword through him, and then he blows a hole through him after that, and it's like, dang, it just seals <laughs> seals his fate, like. Yeah. That's a, a powerful way to die right there. That, that's my favorite scene. That was just, I love the whole forest scene. Yeah, that was pretty good. I would say my favorite scene is the beginning when they're tracking down um, 
demolisher the decepticon with the big wheels as he's driving through shanghai mm. <clears throat> and then optimus drops in and just takes him takes him down i thought the whole sequence was pretty cool uh, I, I liked the film overall um i think it is better than the first one uh, that's bigger like you said more more characters more just autobots and decepticons and more just more at stake um you got this new bad guy who's bigger than megatron bigger than starscream you know he's the original decepticon with the fallen um get a little more history with it um the whole story so overall i'd say it's better i'd, I'd give it an eight no probably a 7.8 actually so um some things that bothered me but the rest of it made up for it so well we want to thank you guys for joining us here on more than meets the eye a transformers podcast uh brought to you by the credible nerds definitely check us out on facebook twitter instagram under the credible nerds and join us there join us on the conversation this is episode three of more than meets the eye next up we'll be talking transformers dark of the moon we get a little more history lesson a little more they pull back the the curtain a little more for you kimbo how does dark of the moon compare to revenge of the fallen just a quick preview i guess well for me dark of the moon i think is the my favorite of the whole series okay. it's just um a lot happens in this one there's um especially the last scene like that yeah. final battle scene that's so cool this is yeah. this is a really good one yeah yeah it's definitely one of my favorites too I'm looking forward to rewatching that discussing more about dark of the moon and how it compares to this film Avengers of the fallen as well as the first transformers and even bumblebee so stay tuned for that episode coming soon and we want to thank you guys for joining us here on more than meets the eye see ya yeah.